1: driving a yellow Porsche to IBM, which was a coveted position back then. I had a master's in business. I lived in a condominium near the ocean with my girlfriends. And I felt the big lie. I had done everything. Oh, I'd gone on diets to be really skinny and beautiful. I had done everything the culture and my father and the community had told me would bring me success and happiness. And I was miserable. And worse, when I tried to talk to people about it, they said, I don't feel sorry for you. You have it all.
0: You're listening to Donnie Success Champions, where I believe everybody is on a journey. Life is all about the stories you can tell and teach later. You're going to hear the stories of people who have overcome hardships, failures, and life to find success along their journey. All right, guys, going to be another fun episode. I'm your host, Donnie Boving, and I'm getting better about saying my own damn name in these things, so I like it. But I'm bringing on Miss Lucinda Bach and White, and I'm really excited about this one. You know, I love meeting unique and fun people, and I think she's going to fit the bill. So, Lucinda, welcome to the show, my dear. Please tell us your story.
1: Greetings, Donnie. This is so fun to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Oh, my story is a long one. I'm 59 years old. And I have been an inner tracker my entire life. That means I've gone inward to analyze what my thoughts and feelings are compared to how I look on the outside. Don't ask me why I did it at a young age, but I did. I had many, many crises along my journey, and then I used my tracking methodology to move through the difficulties. And now at age 59, I have a wealth of experience, and I'm my own experiment. So my first crisis happened when I was 11. I grew up, I was born in 1959, I grew up as a nature child. My mother was single, she had me when she was 20, and she was not a hippie, so we weren't part of that movement, it might have been easier for me, but she had to work hard to take care of me and go to school and get a degree. But I was happy being free and wild in nature. When I was 11, she had worked her way up to be a school teacher in a coveted school district, and she married a man overnight. We had to move. It was a new town, new people, new relatives, and my father adopted me. This man adopted me and shapeshifted me into a yuppie, and it was like a culture shock for me, so I was molded by the masculine view of what it meant to be a woman. By the time I was 27, the second crisis happened. I was living the American dream, driving a yellow Porsche to IBM, which was a coveted position back then. I had a master's in business. I lived in a condominium near the ocean with my girlfriends. And I felt the big lie. I had done everything. Oh, I'd gone on diets to be really skinny and beautiful. I had done everything the culture and my father and the community had told me would bring me success and happiness, and I was miserable. And worse, when I tried to talk to people about it, they said, I don't feel sorry for you. You have it all. And that made me feel crazy, so I quit IBM and spiraled into a suicidal depression. Somehow I came out of that. And then I got married and had children, and then there was a mysterious skin disease that covered my entire cheek from nose to ear, eye to chin, pussy and oozing and turned into staph infection, and no medication could heal it. And then my children left for college, and it was the big crisis. What do I do now? It's empty nest. So that's just a a snippet of my lifetime and some of the, the trials and tribulations I came up against and moved through.
0: Wow. So I got a ton of questions. We're going to have fun with this one. First, what the hell is a tracker? <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: there are a lot of people who track out in the wilderness and they track wild animals. Right. So they're looking at footprints and signs and fur on a, a branch or maybe where an animal urinated or defecated. And they're getting closer to the animal by trying to track where it went and observe its behavior. And what can happen when you have that kind of awareness and you're using all your senses to get close to that animal and be really aware is that you're open and you're receptive and you develop this spiritual connection with the animal, believe it or not, because you're, you're not, well, you're just open and you're receiving and then you kind of get these intuitive hits about what the animal might look like or where it went or what happened to it. I took that wisdom and polite it inside of me where I was completely aware to all the feelings in my bodies and the thoughts in my head and the actions that I was doing. So it's sort of like when somebody says, hey, how you doing? And it's just human nature to say, I'm great. But really on the inside, you know, maybe you just crashed your car yesterday and you're really unsettled, but you don't want to talk about it because you don't want to be a burden or you're embarrassed and ashamed. Or maybe you got in a fight with your husband and you're really not okay, but you just say it. So that's the disconnect between the outer and the inner. And they say that as within, so without. That's an ancient esoteric teaching. So the world around us and outside of us is a mirror and a reflection of what's going on inside of us. So that tracking metaphor of being out in nature and tracking an animal is symbolic of going to your inner nature and tracking the authentic original essence of who we are, which we we are animals. I know that sounds horrible, but we are.
0: No, I love this. I haven't heard the term tracker used in that methodology, but I, but I like the sound of it because, you know, a lot of times people don't spend enough time between their ears like they should. So I, I I really love that. We're going to explore that a little bit more. But I want to jump back to your childhood for just a second. So you grow up and you said – She wasn't a hippie, which when you were first describing your mom, that was was the thought process that came to my my mind. What's the difference?
1: Well, if you think about – I always think about uh, life stages, and, and, and there's different things we're intended to learn in each life stage, and then also looking at historical content and context. So the 60s was a decade of peace, love, war, you know, open relationships and this and that, but not everybody felt that way. So there was a culture crash. If you, if my mother had been a hippie and aligned with the the hippie movement, there would have been a lot more um, acceptance of her being a single mother raising a child because there was a lot of free love in that movement. But she grew up in a really traditional background. She was actually a child of a military family. So the values were very um conservative. And she was actually in college when she met a man and got pregnant. And back then, divorce was not that common. So for a woman to get divorced, it brought a lot of shame to the family. And women didn't have as many rights even to have a bank account or to even, it wasn't, you know, not too long before that, women couldn't even really go to college. So it was a scarier thing for a woman to be single and free. And you were sort of pushed to the fringe if you were divorced. So. She married this man because that's what you did back then, but two years into it, it didn't work out, and she was strong enough to leave him instead of staying, which most women did because they didn't have options. So here she is in this conservative environment getting divorced she had me when she was 20 so she was 22 during the divorce and that meant she had to go to work and have a job and care for us food shelter and clothing and at the same time she wanted to finish her college degree and become a teacher so it was a lot to do it brought on a lot of shame she doesn't say this i just know that that's what was going on in the culture back then she had three jobs she had to do janitorial work and she did it
0: wow Wow. Good honor. That's a strong ass woman right there. Yeah. So you go from the free spirited, open, loving, you know, lifestyle to basically in my mind, the corporate America style, because a lot of us that grow up in the world of maybe didn't have a lot of things, we, we, we look at corporate America of the suits and the nice cars and the nice houses and all that stuff. Is that some sort of level of success or something but you like a lot of us once we got there we're like this sucks <laughs> you know there's that level of you know this isn't where i'm supposed to be this isn't what i'm supposed to be doing you leave that lifestyle which i know given you know the the level you would hit that people were looking at you like you were flipping crazy You know, what was that transition like going from, you know, high corporate America to where you are now?
1: Yeah, transition is the theme, transformation. And you can see how I eventually became an expert transformer through all these experiences. So they're hard. Change is really hard. We live in a culture and we have for a long time where we strive for perfection and any kind of a flaw or a failure brings us great shame. And so a lot of times we'll do anything just to stay the same. And actually change is what enlivens us and moves us. And I began to become very comfortable with it. So it was harder in my earlier years. And yet it's, it's still hard, but I'm used to it. So it's the inner outer nature thing. There's so many ways to look at this. Just quickly, because I was a nature child, it wasn't that I was hanging out with hippies nature child it was and a lot of people can relate to this we didn't have a lot of money for toys but I played outside climbing trees with the cousins and the neighborhood kids I had a clan and I was in my imagination talking to plants and trees and animals and eating berries off the bushes so I was deeply connected to nature and that's a foundation that has informed me later in my life So that change when I had achieved the American dream and I'm in corporate America and it's the status symbol of accomplishment and success and happiness to shift and leave was really hard because – Again, back then, you know, some of this might not seem too hard now, like the divorce with my mom because everybody's divorced now. It's the same thing when I left corporate America and I had a suicidal depression. Maybe that doesn't seem so different, but back then not a lot of people were, this is 1987, were going to psychology, and it horrified my parents. They took it personally. Like, in those days, it was if you have a family member that goes to psychology That means you're crazy, you should be institutionalized, and that means it's our fault because we're bad parents, and oh my gosh, we're ashamed. So, again, there wasn't a lot of support, so it's scary. These changes make you feel like you're misunderstood and you're alone and you're isolated. So you have to go inner, inside yourself. It's the inner tracker. Because we all have this original, unique, authentic self inside of us that we are lonely for. It's part of the loneliness. It's part of the longing, and we don't know that. We keep seeking outside of ourselves what's missing on the inside. But if you can find a way to go in and connect to that authenticity, it's satisfying and it's enlivening. So when I spiraled into the suicidal depression, I did feel alone. I felt trapped, and I fantasized how to do it and it's a whole nother story why I didn't because I I just couldn't find the means to do it, but I did eventually end up in psychology, and in that phase of my, my, my life, psychology really worked, and again, I was doing it in isolation, my parents didn't support me, they didn't understand it, they didn't ask me any questions about what I was doing there, but when I went to the psychologist, he listened to me, he didn't judge me, and he told me that I was in charge of my thoughts and beliefs, and I didn't have to believe everything my family and the society said, and I thought, really? That's the first time I'd ever questioned, I mean, you know, in in the big context. So that was revolutionary, and I started by rejecting my family and blaming them for everything and shifting my thoughts and perspectives and views and values of the world. Um, But what I learned later is there is no such thing as blame. That just kept me in the victim mentality once I did that it was motivation for me to get out of being stuck on the couch staring at the wall where I literally couldn't take a shower or sit under a tree. The anger actually motivated me to do something and and but then I moved through that cycle too and realized wow, now I'm in a better place I'm really confident I'm back at work I'm taking care of myself I've evolved I pulled through that whoa it's not really their fault because it's actually a Good thing that happened because without that, I wouldn't be here. So it kept going like that. And so when I got married, I had other issues and I had to keep applying that wisdom and that lesson and going deeper and deeper into who I was on the inside and just keep growing instead of striving for perfection.
0: (laughs) Here's what I love about this. And I love these type of stories because they're the best in the world. You know, I started this podcast because I truly believe that, that everybody is on a journey and our story is our success. If we will learn to take ownership of the things that happened to us in the past and not pass the buck and realize that those things shaped us into who we are, nothing can stop us. We can go and do and accomplish whatever we want in life because your story becomes your strength then. It becomes your superpower versus, you know, some sort of crutch on your journey. I so love the fact that you found that portion in your life where you look back and you took ownership of it, you know, that that shaped you to who you are. What a beautiful, beautiful walk for you. I also really enjoy the fact, you know, I grew up on a farm in Kansas. So, you know, we had, I was the TV remote. So we had like four channels. So, and, but we had horses and we had cows and we had, you know, rabbits and, and goats. And, you know, we were always out on the land and the property. And, you know, i never a nature child because to me that sounds too close to hippie and I'm a Marine. So me and military and hippies, we don't always play nice together, but You know, I love this free spirit you have with all of that. And it's what's cool about it is it's not that over the top dreamer persona. You're using real methodologies, real things that come from a genuine place. So I just I really enjoy you. So what do you do with all of this stuff? I mean, you've got a cool walk that you've gone on on your journey, you know, how are you delivering that to the world as part of your message and what you share?
1: Well, when it got to the empty nest phase, it's it's, it's interesting because even when I got married, I ended up recreating a lot of the, the habits and value systems that I grew up with for a couple of reasons. One, old habits die hard. And two, it is a part of you. Everything that happens to you is a part of you. And so... You can reject it, which is what I've done a lot of times. You know, I'll find a new methodology or way of being or looking and then reject the other like that's wrong. This is better. And then I finally came to a point of integration where it's all a part of me. But I immerse. So I look at everything as as an immersion experience and learning firsthand from experience. So I will read books and talk to people and have guides and then take on this intellectual information. But then you have to walk the talk. I have to apply it to me and test it out. And it's always, you know, three steps forward, two steps back, three steps forward, two steps back. And it's like a diet or exercise. I'm constantly tracking myself and how I'm doing. And so... Building all this firsthand experience and awareness, by the time my kids were empty nests going to college, I realized the whole other theme in my life has to do with death, dying, and eldership. And these are three topics that our society doesn't want to talk about. Number one, we don't want to age. We'll do anything to have plastic surgery and look young. And and there's nothing wrong with being youthful. Because actually the gold is in our youthfulness. It's that inner authentic essence. that's childlike, spontaneous, creative, and curious. So that's who I was as a child. And then you have that same aspect when you were on the farm. Well, we get that shaped right out of us. When we reconnect with that, that's enlivening and it's authentic. And so when we become elders, instead of trying to be young in a physical, tangible sense, it's We're supposed to be symbolically young energetically, and we're supposed to recognize that we have a lot of wisdom to share, and the world needs us. They need people with firsthand experience to hold a container for what they're going through, to give them clues to guide them, and yet we tend to discard the elders and push them aside, and they end up in nursing homes, and they don't have a lot of higher purpose. I call it higher purpose. So... The other thing that happened to me is along the way, when I went back and got married, I ended up marrying the CEO. I went back to Silicon Valley because that's all I knew. I had to get out of my parents' house and out of the depression. So I went back to high tech because that's all I knew. And I needed money to afford a place to live to heal while I was simultaneously going to to psychology. Well, lo and behold, I ended up marrying the CEO of the company. And then I got right back into this affluent, accomplishing lifestyle. Well, in the process of that, when I had children, I flashed back to my childhood. I hadn't really thought about nature since I was 11 because I had been the yuppie and then in a crisis and then married and then in Silicon Valley again as a CEO wife. And when I had children, I flashed back to my childhood and thought, oh, my children need nature. So I started spending more time in nature and I started coming across animal bones and I had an awakening with the animal bones, and I started collecting animal bones. Now, I did it in secrecy because it seemed really weird and macabre, but that turned into me finding dead animals, and I thought, how do I get at the bone? And at the same time, I was studying the animal and so in awe and curious that I could be up that close and personal with a wild animal. So I would study the animal and how it looked, and this was before the Internet, and I would go back, and I would look over the library and bookstores and buy books and study animal behavior and watch documentaries that led to seeing dead animals on the road and feeling bad. The cars kept running over them. So I would stop and peel the dead animals off the road and return them to the soil. And then that led to me taking some of them home and getting at the bone and two things happened.
0: guys. It's Donnie here, and I just want to let you know that we've recently launched a content development company, and this company helps people get social content. You know you need to put out a lot of content nowadays to get engagement out there in all your social platforms, but we've come up with a really cool way to help you get videos, blog posts, memes, social posters, and infographics for you know, whatever social site you need. So check us out at successchamps.us and learn more about how you can get social content for your social media. Support for this podcast comes from Point Blank Safety Services and Blue Family Fund. Blue Family Fund, helping dependents of law enforcement families on their journeys. Blue Family Fund is a nonprofit that raises funds and offers financial support through higher education scholarships for dependents of law enforcement officers and by providing financial assistance for families of fallen law enforcement officers. Every dollar donated will go to the families of police officers, either through scholarships to dependents of police officers or as aid to fallen officers' families. Visit us at bluefamilyfund.com.
1: Number one, I kept it in secret because it didn't really go with my high-profile Silicon Valley lifetime, but it was that childlike, curious essence doing what I wanted to do because I was passionate and curious and playful, and I just did it to do it, not because I worried about what people thought or because I would make money. And it turned into this 20-year thing where all of a sudden I had so many bones and animal parts and taxidermy built up, I arranged it all in a barn which is what you can see behind me if you were looking at me right now is and it's like a cathedral it's so palpable it's my connection to my inner essence and the animal kingdom and the spiritual realm because we're all born to die now this speaks to death it's a conversation that people don't want to have because they don't want to be reminded of growing old and they don't want to be reminded of dying we are all born to die when we die our flesh will decompose what remains, the bones. It speaks to we have two parts. We have an inner authentic essence, the bones, something deep down inside, and then the flesh. So me collecting the bones was like me reclaiming lost parts of myself that had been tamed and shamed by society, family, and culture. And it gave me the confidence and the relationship with my inner self to debut You know, to want to debut is this is who I am. So how do I do it? I'm an elder. I want to talk about death and dying because I understand it. I want higher purpose and meaning to my life to share all this wisdom. The only way I thought I could do this, oh, because what I was going to say is being who I was, a housewife with a big family, when my kids went to college, Everybody wanted me to continue doing the same things. Go to dinner, talk to your friends, drink good wine, cook clean, have people for dinner. I mean, that's that's an amazing thing that a woman can do and have a career, but there's more to us than that. I wanted to just be who I wanted to be, and yet my family and society didn't really want me to change, so there was like a a struggle there for them to have. It's called people-pleasing. You do things because you think other people want you to do. You go to this party and that party, and by the time you're 60, there's so many other people to please, you forget about yourself. I cleared the decks and said, I'm writing a book. I need to explain my life story so that you understand, because everything I'm talking about, dead animals and bones and aging and dying, is so esoteric, I'm going to write a book. It took me two and a half years to write the book. I did it. I debuted with the book in February of this year. Is my memoir, my life story. I, instead of a tell-all book, here's how you do it, it's demonstrating how I did it. I take the reader on a journey of my lifetime, and they feel everything that I went through and how I moved through it and see what the life lessons were. So I wrote the book, and then that allowed me to then give public presentations and to have a website and counsel people and do podcast interviews. So this is the new me debuting with all of this life wisdom and sharing it in my own unique way with higher purpose and bringing a whole new meaning to eldership and aging.
0: God, this is so cool. Uh, It really, really, really is. This is is one of the other reasons I love podcasting. I get to meet so many just freaking cool people. So literally you rediscovered yourself through animals and I, I, I get it because I can imagine your Silicon Valley, you know, corporate wife, mom, driving over on the side of the road and picking up, you know, roadkill. And moving it over to a ditch or something, so you know it can decompose properly, which in turn probably pissed off the vultures. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but if you would have told that to people that you were surrounded by, they would have looked at. I mean, well, I'm sure people still look at you right now like you got two heads, you know, because they just don't understand. This is your thing. This is what you're into. This is this is your freedom, and. What does it feel like to know you're fully living your truth?
1: It is so incredible. And you brought up some really good points. When you go through a transformation and you want to make a change, yes, it's very scary because you feel misunderstood and lonely and isolated and perhaps even like you've done something wrong because you have to make a change. And if you know that you do that and then you sit in it and then you start Shifting and changing and getting guidance and moving. And when you go through it, it's one of those success, it's kind of like finals week, you know, when you finish your class and you're like, whoa, I did it. It feels like that. But, and, and then there are people who will not understand you and they will judge you and they will try to talk you down or tell you it's wrong. And you have to be strong and bold and brave and say, I choose me. So, I just want to really reinforce that with people out there because there's so many people who have, I mean, every single person has this inner authentic essence that wants to emerge. And I want to give them that confidence and strength to say, go for it, do it, be a little bit bold and you're going to upset people. But two things. Number 1, I had to go against my family. First of all, they didn't I'm talking about my parents, my sisters, my husband, my kids, whatever. They I have stepchildren, I have grandchildren. They didn't want me to write the book because A, we're business people, we're not creative, so they didn't understand it. B, they certainly didn't want me to write a book about my personal life and be vulnerable because it would have to include them. And C, it took away from what they expected I should be doing for them and with them. So I really 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 had to go against it. And it was hard, so you have to be firm and strong. But by doing it and doing it with love, like love for myself, not anger at them or blame, just I'm going to stand in my power that I'm doing this for me and I have served in other ways and now is my time, getting through it and coming out the other side so they could literally see it and feel it and doing it with the highest of integrity, integrity without blame and shaming them, People come along with you like it's like an invisible energy that emanates outside of you that influences them whether they know it or not instead of me arguing and yelling. I just did it, and I had a full circle moment. You know, they still, even when the book came out, everybody's a little embarrassed and worried. What does it say about me in the book? And I tried to keep all that at a minimum. I didn't want it to be a tell-all. I don't want to tell their stories, but I still have to tell their story when it affected a change in my life in a positive way. So still a lot of nervousness and the big elephant in the room, but I'm doing my thing. Well, in September, I gave a large presentation to 50 people at a bookstore and um, a lot of my family was there in attendance. And it was such a full circle moment because I didn't invite them or ask them to come. They showed up Mm. on their own and they, I got a standing ovation and my parents came up and said, we get it. We are so proud of you. We could have listened to you for three hours and so that's an example of how you can demonstrate and be the change without fighting against it or making them right or wrong it's just that this is my path and I love you and then if they and they'll come along with you and then of course there are the it is the two-head syndrome you talk about there are people who just don't get me but it doesn't matter you could never please anyone and I don't blame them it's like the people that you automatically you, you change your vibration literally when you change and then there's people who will change with you you're influencing them and there's people who won't resonate, and they just sort of fall off by the wayside because you're not blaming or shaming or making it about them. And the last thing I want to say is this that's related. How does it feel? What I found is how do I know when I am not connected to my inner authenticity? I am tired, I'm exhausted, I'm depleted, drained, maybe even depressed, numbing out because I'm so tired pleasing other people and doing things outside of myself to look right i'm working so hard doing so much but i'm exhausted and drained how do you know when you are connected to your inner authenticity you're enlivened it's amazing i've always been a busy high-powered person and yet by the time my kids were teenagers i mean i was a zombie I was so exhausted, I looked horrible, and the big red cheek and this and that now i'm fifty nine I'm even older. I look better than ever because I'm doing what I want to do, so I'm connected to that childlike essence inside of me, which is a higher vibration, so it's a it's an enlivening energy because I'm doing what I want to do, and I love what i'm doing, and I can't wait to get up in the morning and I'm so excited it's passion
0: uh, oh, it's so awesome. Your energy is just inspiring. I I really enjoy being around you. You know, wh- when you were talking about the the two head syndrome and, you know, some people are going to come on your journey, some aren't going to go. What I've found, at least as, uh, and I'll speak my own truth, uh, you know, as part of my journey is the people that didn't get it, I think oftentimes were jealous that I was willing to take such a leap and do my own thing, you know, and I think that they're battling their own demons if you will as they're trying to figure out what their next move in life is going to be and they're knowing that they're going to turn around and get right back up at seven o'clock in the morning put the suit on you know drive to work while while the rest of the world is doing and chasing their own dreams and passions and doing the thing that inspire them so it's not that they're mad at you it's they're mad at themselves because they don't have the courage to, to pull the same trigger, you know, which is – it was a very calming effect for me once I came to that realization.
1: It's so true. and I mean, that is such a profound point. It We think it's all about us. Oh, they don't like me. They're judging me. They hate me. Whatever it is. I mean, you could be walking into a party and not even think, be thinking about anything, and you think someone hates you, and then you're kind of like, why is that person giving me a dirty look? Or why did that person at the grocery store yell at me? It's always about – them it's never about us it's about what's going on inside of them it's so true
0: yep absolutely so now you're on stages you're telling people your story you have a book out and you're you know sharing your message your your journey with people are people open are they receptive i mean are they embracing what you're doing
1: Yes, it's incredible. What's so interesting too is I've done the the corporate route and I have an MBA and I've worked for – I was PTA president in the school. I totally understand business models and how to do business plans and to focus on revenue and expense and profit. I am fortunate to be in this stage in my life where my number one focus is to just share my wisdom and have a good time. So I'm not thinking, okay – I need X amount of, of followers on social media and X amount of money. I'm literally just being who I am and my mantra is let me magnetize to me the people who are, who, who are, are ready to receive my medicine. And so I, that's exactly what's happening. It's all positive and people want to talk to me and they're calling me and sending emails and telling me how the book affected them and inviting me to come speak at book clubs or at presentations. Um, so it, it's, it's almost like I'm in a flow and it's not exhausting and, it, and it's enlivening. And I do have a lot of followers and it just keeps going and going and going.
0: I hope to someday see you speak because I want to see you speak with, there's like a room full of taxidermy behind you. <laughs> you know, <laughs> on page. Just to see the look of the audience's face when they walk in and they see all the taxidermy. I think that'd be awesome. So where do you think all this is going to take you? I mean, you're doing some cool things. You, you've, done some phenomenal transformations where do you think it's all going to take you
1: i think it never ends so i'm constantly going to be learning and transforming and i just finished a complete big cycle launching the book and i'm now i so i believe in rhythm and change and the inner and outer nature so if you look in nature the only thing constant is change. So I follow the moon every month with my intentions. There's a new moon that grows to a full moon. Then it dies off and goes inward, the death phase, to rethink, review, reflect, rest, only to be born again with a new moon and new intentions. So I, I follow that cycle of the moon. I do the same thing during the year. So right now we're at that inner phase of going inward where the days are getting shorter and darker, and I'm saying, what do I want to do next? And it's so exciting because there's so many opportunities, but I want to rest and go inward and then emerge. So I do, I am talking to people about making the book into a movie. I have an idea for a second book coming out. So I might take some time off and write another book. I have clients that I'm counseling right now that are ongoing. I do a weekly blog, so I'll keep writing that. Oh, I really want to do a video blog. So that's the most exciting thing for me to do right now, to figure out how to share my wisdom through video. Uh, so it's all – and where is it all going to head? I think it's going to head towards – I live on a really amazing piece of property and I work with people on the phone, but the people who live local can actually come here and work in my barn or on my property, which has a lot of nature. I could see this place turning into not a retreat center, but some sort of a, a really famous venue for people to come to, to see what I'm talking about and experience it. I don't want to be a classic retreat center, but, There's something leading edge, something magical about this place in my barn where I think people are going to come to feel what I'm talking about.
0: Well, just for the record, I don't think you could ever have the kind of normal retreat with what you're doing. I don't know anybody who does taxidermy. (laughs) retreat but, But I love the vibe behind that. I love the thought behind that. I mean, it's. It's you're going to connect with such a unique audience that I think turning your place into some sort of nature preserve slash retreat, because I can't come up with a better word as well, would be a very, very cool thing. And, you know, I think because you're so genuine that people will embrace it faster than you think they will, you know, uh, which is which is fun. You're going to be a fun journey to continue to watch. I'm, I'm really excited to see where all of this takes you, and I will try not to put you into the hippie, you know, side of things. All my free thinkers like this, I'm like, they're my favorite hippies, and I'm, all right, I mean hippie and a good thing, right, you know. So. Me too, me too, I do.
1: You know what's so funny too, the subtitle of my book is, so the book's called Confessions of a Bone Woman, but the subtitle is Realizing Authentic Wildness in a civilized world. So one of my other messages is you have to have both. You said something earlier about how my message isn't so light and airy that it's too big of a dream with, without based, being based in reality. I totally get it that we have to master survival. We need to know how to fit into society so that we're upstanding citizens and that we know how to get a job because if we don't get a job and master and work hard, master food, shelter, and clothing, we'll die. But the idea is to thrive and to do that and know it and then transfer over and thrive and connect with who you are on the inside. So it's that human nature, the exterior, and then the inner nature, the authenticity, and they're both good. So I actually say, I call myself, the inside of me is a hippie and the outside of me is, you know, just a mainstream socialite which is hilarious.
0: (laughs) I love it. So you've got like half a bandana on and then, you know, (laughs) some sort of business suit.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And I used to have dichotomies. So we all have these secret lives. I'm here with these. I'm like this with these people. And I'm like this with these people. And you're really guarded about what you say where now it's about integration being exactly who I am and want to be in the moment. And, you know, sometimes I like to get dressed up in couture and go to a high end party. And sometimes I don't shower for three days because I'm out camping, Right. but you know, I just do what I want to do, and I don't hide it. I talk about it.
0: Well, and I, and I think that's, that's a huge part, You know, and I love telling people this. When I first got into corporate America, I had a vice president of a company pull me aside, and he said, I've got to give you two things of advice, Donnie, that you need to listen to, and he said, first and foremost, lose every bit of twang you have in your voice. No y'alls, no country slang, and he wasn't wrong. It's just in corporate America, if you sound country, you're an idiot, right? I mean, that's just the way they look at it. The second thing he told me was never tell anybody you're a veteran, and he wasn't wrong. Being a veteran does nothing in corporate America, right? I mean, it, it is no benefit to anybody. There's no. It's not like you have a four-year college degree, and I came to my own truce later realizing that Four year degree, four years in the military. It's the same thing. You both have no experience, right? <laughs> you know, right. But for 10 years, I went along the ride that I didn't tell people that I grew up in a country. I didn't tell people I was a veteran. You know, I hid that portion of my life and my journey because I knew how it would look in corporate America. It was at some point that I'm like, screw all that. I don't want that life anyways that that the world started opening up for me. So I love the fact that you're coming back and sharing this message with people so they can embrace their own journey because you're right. We all live that dual life at some portion. You know, the person that people see at work is not the person they see at home, you know. Yep. That's just wild. Girl, i got to tell you, this has been a blast. I have really, really enjoyed having you on here and hearing your story. This has been a lot of fun.
1: Thank you. I loved it. Thank you, thank you, thank you.
0: Where can everybody find your books and stuff at?
1: If you go to my website, everything's there, authenticwildness.com.
0: Awesome, awesome. Well here's how I like to wrap up the show. And I do stump some people, so get forewarned, alright? <laughs> so, if you could leave my audience of champions, so these are entrepreneurs, business owners, people living their dreams, going for it, from all over the world. We're in 78 countries now. If you could You leave them with a quote, a phrase, a mantra, something they can take with them on their journey, especially if they're going through that dark time in their life and they're trying to figure out what's the way forward. What would be that quote or phrase you would say, remember this?
1: Remember that there is an authentic wildness inside of you that is longing to emerge.
0: That is beautiful. You really need to get that put on a (laughs) (laughs) T-shirt. Miss Lucinda, I've really, really enjoyed this. I appreciate your vibe. I appreciate your message. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And
1: I appreciate you. Thank you.
0: listening to Donnie success champions podcast. If you'd like to hear more about our current guest today, or if you'd like to hear stories from our other guests on the show, come hang out with us on our website at successchampspodcast.com. I really appreciate you tuning in. If you need to reach out to me for any reason, you can catch me at Donnie at Donnie Kevin and I have a lot of fun each week recording these episodes and sharing our best thoughts and ideas with you all. Man, we're just proud to, to have you guys as listeners always tuning in, and we really appreciate the messages. We get the DMs, the emails, and the likes from you guys with questions and ideas for future shows, and that just means the world to us. We really are changing how the world networks. We've poured our heart and soul into Success Champions Networking, and it continues to grow.